It is good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be here here at Fairhaven Church. It's been quite some time since I've been down this way, but it's good to see some of those of you that I know and some of you that I do not. But nevertheless, it's good to be among God's people. Certainly good to be with your pastor. As he said, I have known him all his life and known his dad all his life <laughs> since we were born just eight days apart. Um, but uh, he and I have grown up together and thankful for his life and for the life of his children. And just pray for him, pray for your pastor. Never fail to pray for the man of God. <laughs> what we have on our mind this morning is to think some about how that God thinks about us. Some of God's thoughts about us and how he considers us and views us and looks at us as we live in this world. Well, I think that's a very important point as we go day by day, when we get to Monday morning, how is God looking at us? What is God thinking about us? How does God view us? And we're certainly not going to cover but one aspect of this, a couple of things. But we want to begin to think about that and to begin to start, let's just first establish the fact, as it says over here in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy in the seventh chapter, it says this down in the sixth verse. And he is speaking here about Israel, but Israel is a type of spiritual Israel, is a type of the people of God. So he says here, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. So first, right off the bat, we find out that God thinks of us as a special people, as a unique body of individuals, whether we're together or not, that are living at any point of time upon the face of the earth. They are a special people unto himself, which is confirmed in the New Testament. Try to, when we can, confirm these truths out of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I'm, I'm, my style of preaching is to preach the Word, brothers and sisters. Amen. So, we're going to go to the Word, look at the Word. I want you to believe the Word of God. So it says here in Ephesians 1, in the third chapter, or the, well, let's read the first chapter, the fourth verse, it says, according as He hath chosen us in Him, so it's saying according as God hath chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So chosen, a chosen special people in Jesus Christ. And then this statement is made over. Let's just go over to 2 Timothy and see what it says here in the second chapter. And in the 19th verse, just laying some groundwork here. In 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy in the first chapter, as we begin to look at these things. I'm having a hard time getting my verses right. 2 Timothy, the second chapter, the 19th verse. It says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Which, of course, makes sense. If God's chosen you, and you're a special people unto Himself, He knows those that are His. And it's not just a blanket choice. It is a choice individually. You have been individually and personally chosen by God. 
We have a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. And if we step past that from the Heavenly Father to the Son of God, because we were chosen by God in Christ, let's see what it says about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ over here in the book of John. In the book of John in the 10th chapter. John chapter 10 says this. Just picking up the Trinity here. In John chapter 10, the statement is made here in the 14th verse. Jesus Christ himself saying, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. So Christ says, the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, says that I know my sheep. I know the people whom the Father had chosen and has given unto me. I know my sheep. What about the Spirit? Let's think about what it says over here in the book of Romans. Let's go over to Romans. To the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Makes this statement about the work of our Lord and say, or the work of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead. Says here, makes this statement. Says in the, let's read the 15th verse of the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So the Spirit knows those whom the Father has chosen Mm -hmm. and that He has given unto the Son that are the sheep of the Son whom He knows and then He at the appointed time of God does witness with us That we are the children of God. It actually brings witness unto us of that reality, of that truth. That we are the people of God. And so, of course, the Spirit then must know us in order to be able to witness unto us. It must know us individually, dwells within us, and brings forth that reality. Well, let's go over to the book of Isaiah. Over the book of Isaiah. Because we're going to find that there are some things. Well, before I make that statement, let me read what it says here. In the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, in the 49th chapter, statement is made by God here. He says in the 15th verse, Can a woman forget her suckling child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. Yea, they may forget. How much do we see that today in the world that we live in? How many state legislatures, as well as our national legislator, have passed, tried to legislate, legalize, is a better word, tried to legalize by legislation that you can take the life of your unborn child. And even past that, There's been some recent activity. So it's a very disturbing reality, but it is a reality that God even says was so all the way back in the day of Isaiah. He says, can a woman forget what ought to be that closest bond that exists in a natural sense between a mother and her child? Can a woman forget the child of her womb? Yea, they may forget. But God says, yet will I not forget thee. I will not forget thee. For I have graven thee upon the palms of my hand 
The walls are continually before me. Well, so when you get up on Monday morning, we need to understand and know and appreciate and glorify the Lord God of heaven that the Father knows us, chosen us, loves us, that the Son knows us as His sheep, that the Spirit of God has witnessed with us that we are the children of God and that God says, I will not forget thee. Praise the Lord. Will not forget thee. However, and you're like, how can you say however to that? <laughs> However, <laughs> there's some interesting verses in the Word of God. Also in Isaiah. Isaiah in the 43rd chapter, in the 20, 25th verse, because we're going to find that there are some things, this is what I started to say a minute ago, that there are some things that God does not think about us. <laughs> there are some things He thinks about us, and we've read some of those, but there are some things that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit does not think about us. We'll begin to establish that point here in the book of Isaiah in the 43rd chapter and in the 25th verse. God says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. Never forget the fact that the reason you've been redeemed by grace is not because of you. But for God's own sake, for His own mercy, His own purpose, His own choice is the reason that we have been redeemed. It is for His sake. But then He says, and will not remember thy sins. How is it possible that the God of God, the Lord of lords, can even make that statement? I will not remember thy sins. Well, let's go on over to the 44th chapter and read another verse along this line. 22nd verse 20 yeah the 22nd verse there at the end the 21st verse says remember these O Jacob O Israel for thou art my servant I have formed thee thou art my servant O Israel thou shalt not be forgotten of me. There we got it again. I will not forget thee. But then he goes on and says I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgression and as a cloud thy sins. Blotted out. We're about to have some stormy weather. And if that occurred during the daytime, you would see that those dark and stormy clouds blot out the sun. They blot out and it darkens the day and it casts a shadow over that. And so God is saying that your sins have been blotted out. They have been banished, as it were, from my sight. As I view you, they have been covered over like a thick cloud. Let's go over to the book of Jeremiah. These are all just wonderful verses about this truth. And I thank God that he says this not more than just once, but several times that we have this driven home unto us. It says here in Jeremiah, and again, this is specifically talking about uh, the children of Israel, but in the judgments are upon the people of God in general, I guess you'd say. But then it applies certainly as we go down through time. In Jeremiah in the 50th chapter, says this in the 20th verse, In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. Certainly not only 
a reality about the natural situation that was going on there, but a prophecy of that that was to come to bear and did exist on the behalf of God's people. He says, you look for their sins. You will not be able to find them. You cannot bring them up or find somewhere to make them appear again or show up again before God. What does it say in the book of Micah? Micah says this. You get over here to the last chapter of the book of Micah in the seventh chapter. It says in the 18th verse, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, that passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And boy, there's a lot in all that that's great to rejoice in. We want to get the last phrase. And thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You see what God is saying? He's saying your transgressions aren't there. I mean, they do exist. They're real. We know that. We know our sins are real. But God is saying, I'm going to pass them by. God is saying, I'm not going to see them as they're blacked out as a thick cloud. God is saying, it's going to be as though they're the depths of the sea and they cannot be found. But now, let's go over to the New Testament and see what it says here. In the New Testament, it makes this statement. In the book of Romans, in the 8th chapter. Book of Romans, chapter 8. Book of Romans chapter 8 makes this statement in the 33rd verse. It says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yet rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So here in this verse, we get the answer to the question, how is it that God can say, I will not remember your sins? How can He say that they're covered up like a thick cloud, that they're cast into the depths of the sea? He says that the reason is because it is Christ that has died. It is Christ that has paid the price. It is Christ upon whom the, price, the penalty and the charge of your sin has been laid upon. And he has paid that price. He has brought forth that acceptable sacrifice unto God. And that's what God is saying here. He's saying, who is he that can condemn? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. For not only has he died for our sins, but he's arisen victorious over our sins. And by the way, brothers and sisters, if you ever thought about just hypothetically, as the Word of God does sometimes, about if Christ be not raised. You know, He talks about that type of thing. So, have you ever thought about if Christ be not raised in relationship to our sins and what that would have meant? That would have meant that some sin, my sin, your sin, your sin, or all of our sins, Amen. were significant enough to keep Him in the grave. That's right. <laughs> That's why it says also here in Romans, what is that over here? About the fourth chapter, I think, where it says in the last verse, who is delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. 
For He died for our sins. He paid the price for our sins. But that work would not have been manifested without the resurrection. That is how that God is able to say it is God that justified because of the resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why it says also in earlier in the book of Romans over here in the first chapter says that He is declared. Let me see if I get that right. Declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That's Romans 1, 4. So He says here then, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yet rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So now we see, not only do we have the blood of Jesus Christ that we're covered with. We're covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Not only are we declared as righteous in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we have Jesus Christ merely at the right hand of the majesty on high right now. We're talking about how does God think about you today, tonight, tomorrow, the next day, Monday morning as the brother said. How does God think about you? He thinks about you through the intercessory work of His Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, the work of Jesus Christ, and I like to say the person and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because it took the person, the right person, to perform the right work <laughs> to secure our salvation. So the person and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, ever stands it also says another place that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Ever stands before the face of the Heavenly Father. So when God looks at us, God the Father looks at us, he looks at us through the Son, and he does not remember our sins. Well, you might say, well, what about somebody else? <laughs> you know? What about somebody else who wants to bring charge against you? That's what Satan tried to do with Job, right? <laughs> he tried to bring charge against Job before God. Did that work? God says no. He says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Goes on down there later talking about all those things that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's none that can come against us and bring those sins before God. So God is not only saying, I will not remember your sins, but He's saying, I will not let anyone else remember your sins before me against you. <laughs> no one else can bring those against us and bring those into remembrance against us. Let's we'll go over the book of Hebrews and what do you we'll see what it says here in Hebrews in the 8th chapter. Hebrews in chapter 8 we have these wonderful words in the word of God. We have this covenant spoken of here. 
where God says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their heart and write them in their mind. I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. But then listen to this last verse. It says, For I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Brothers and sisters, this covenant was established from before the foundation of the world. It was established and put in place. God says that that, that it is going to be accomplished and done what was necessary to fulfill the requirements of this covenant that your sins and iniquities will be remembered no more. Let's think about something else. Let's think about something else. Because even though that's true, <laughs> and we can rejoice in that, and we can praise God for that, and we can be lifted up by that, if you're like I am, when you get up on Sunday morning, and you're still a sinner. Yeah. <laughs> you're still a sinner. And you still fall short. And you still fail and commit sin and stumble and backslide. And you have a, we have a lot of multitudes of issues in our life. And we are weak, frail individuals. And so yes, we rejoice in the fact that God does not remember our sins against us. But I want to talk about now some things that God does remember. Some things that God does remember as He thinks about us. Listen, that 103rd Psalm, let's go to that and we'll pick up what we've said and tie it to what we're about to say. Because it says in Psalms 103, let's start in the 8th verse. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. Now listen to the 10th verse. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. That's what we've been trying to say, right? <laughs> You just go straight east and straight west, not going around the globe, but just straight out, that never will meet. They've been separated from us in the mind and the purpose of God through the work of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the reality of which that is brought to us by the Spirit of God. So he says then, they've been separated, and then he says, because of that, and everything else we've read up to this point, he had not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. In other words, God knows we're sinners. <laughs> he hasn't forgotten the reality that we're sinners. But as He views us, again, it is through the work of Jesus Christ. So, the important phrase here is He has not dealt with us after our, our sins or according to our iniquities. In other words, God doesn't deal with us 
in line with what our sins and iniquities would be rightly due. Or according to what they would be rightly due. And so we're not compensated or dealt with in line with that do we are in ourselves as sinners. Instead of being dealt with as children of wrath, under God's wrath and under His righteous law, instead we're dealt with as children of God. Under grace. By which God has compassion and mercy upon us. And that's what we will go on down here and read. What it says here. Listen. It says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. He says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. So now we begin to think about how does God think about us? He thinks about as a father has compassion and sensitivity and awareness of the shortcomings and the failings and the stumblings of their own children. As we see small children grow up, as they learn to walk, how many times does a child fall in trying to learn to walk? Does the father chastise them or bear hard on them because they stumble and fall and they can't just immediately start up and walk? That type of thing happens throughout our lives as we strive to serve the Lord. And we stumble in that way, but it says, But the Lord pitieth his children as a father pitieth his child. But listen to the next verse. For he knoweth. It's more known by what God remembers. He does not remember our sins against us, but He does remember, God does know our frame. And what is our frame? He remembereth that we are dust. Remembers that we are dust. And guess what, brothers and sisters? That doesn't go back to the fall in the Garden of Eden. That goes back to before the fall. Mm-hmm. When God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth and breathed in him and he became a living soul. Now what does that say to us? It says to me that, and which we know, is that Adam was not perfect in the sense that he was a super being. He was not all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, able to do all things. He was not. He was a finite, limited creation of God. Only God is infinite and absolute in perfection and holiness and righteousness. So even though He created Adam upright and perfect, we must understand that when in the context that he was still limited. And we still bear that same limitation today. Except our situation is much worse. (laughs) Which also happened to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Because what happened? They did fall in the Garden of Eden. And as a result of that fall, there were some things that happened. Aside from the fact that they were sinners within themselves. 
But aside from that, this whole world in creation was cursed because of the fall that took place. Mm -hmm. And so it has been now for 6,000 years. The world that Adam and Eve lived in is better, was better, than the world we live in today. Mm -hmm. Or that people lived in 4,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago. It is getting worse, not better. And what about ourselves? What about our own beings, our own natural mortal bodies are also under the curse of sin? Outside of the consequence of our own personal sins, we bear that from the moment of conception, right? We bear all that burden. And again, that has gone down through the course of 6,000 years as well. We're... If Adam and Eve were walking the door even after the fall, I, we'd be ashamed, brothers and sisters. <laughs> we'd be so pitiful and such a sorry-looking bunch that they would... <laughs> so people of the past hold up better physically, mentally, emotionally, intellectually. They were still sinners because they got so bad by Noah's day. God destroyed them all, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not negating the reality of their sin. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the natural body. Mm -hmm. The natural body itself. So we have these things that we bear, and then of course, we have our own sin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> our own sin. And all the negative consequences that come upon us naturally and spiritually because of our own sinfulness that has incurred through the years. And of course, the natural body gets older and more feeble and wears out and fails because of the natural curse of sin. The body dies because of sin, but also the weight and the bear of our sin. And the other thing that happens, I mean to mention this, talking about the natural circumstances, and that is that the genetics, the genetics, and this is, by the way, the exact opposite of evolution. We are not going uphill, we're going downhill. Things are getting worse, not better. I can, I can demonstrate that out of the Word of God. Because when Adam and Eve bore sons and daughters, those sons and daughters had to marry each other. <laughs> or they had to marry a niece, perhaps, as you got later down the road. But it was a close relation. No problem. Why? Because they were just that close step away from the fall that occurred in the Garden of Eden and the impact upon the natural body. But what had happened by the time the Israelites came under Mount Sinai? What happened when they were given the law? God says, no more. Mm -hmm. So the genetic deterioration had reached the point by that point that God, for their protection of His natural people Israel, gave that as a law to them and it, it exists to today. It's a part of the natural laws that we have that those same type of things limit the intermarriage because of that genetic deterioration. So we see that, brothers. This is a part of the reality of who we are. And I have read, well, this third op, but I did read it and it was in a um, Christian material that I read this in, so I have reasonable faith that they were trying to be accurate with it. But they're saying at least today, it wasn't as bad, but it steadily gets worse. But each generation is accumulating about a thousand additional mutations, errors, problems in our genetic code. Makes you feel kind of tough. <laughs> Sorry for your children, right? <laughs> your grandchildren. <laughs> 
It's only by the grace of God that we do as well as we do. My brother and sisters, all that points out is just to add some emphasis to what it means when God says that He knows our frame. He knows what we're dealing with. He knows what we're struggling with. Both naturally and spiritually. What does He say over here in the book of Psalms? Earlier in the book of Psalms. In the 78th Psalm. Statement is made and there are in this Psalm just a reiteration of the sins and the challenges and the mercy and the grace of God with the Israelites as they were coming out of the land of Egypt and all that happened to them. But this statement is made over here in the 39th verse. After having said in the 38th verse that he was full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. But anyway, he says this in the 39th verse of the 78th chapter of the book of Psalms. He says, For he remembered that they were but flesh. A wind that passeth away and cometh not again. And this was specifically talking here about the active sins of the people of Israel. But yet God says that He remembers. Remember, He does not remember our sins against us, but God is fully aware that we are sinners. <laughs> and that we struggle with sin, and that we are but flesh, and that we're in frail mortal bodies. He remembers that and has compassion upon us in the light of that reality that we have those things within us. So we have these expressions made by God unto us of His sensitivity, His compassion, His awareness of where we are and where we're coming from. And I think sometimes, and this is kind of hard to say, but I think you want to get it in the right context of what, I'm, what I am saying. I think sometimes we're too hard on ourselves. And this really sounds odd to say this, but I think sometimes we expect more of ourselves than God is expecting. God is expecting a reasonable service. But brothers and sisters, God's not expecting perfection. Not in the sense that we think about perfect without error. Uh, not perfect in terms of being mature or full grown as it's used in the Word of God. But God's not expecting us to be God's. <laughs> He's not expecting us to somehow or another elevate to a godlike status that we no longer are going to be sinners. If that were possible, then we ought to have been able to do something without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But God knows we're sinners. God knows we're frail. He knows, yes, we're born again of the Spirit of God, and we have the Spirit within us, but He also knows that sin is not dead in us that it is still active, that there is a warfare that is taken between us, between the flesh and the Spirit. And for us to go get up on Monday morning and act like we're going to be able to go through a day without that warfare is not only denying the reality, but it's denying what God knows. <laughs> God knows that we got that warfare. God knows that we have those struggles. God knows that we have the stumblings and failings and problems. My goodness, why is He giving us His Word? Why is He giving us prayer? Why is He giving us the ministry of the Gospel and the church of Jesus Christ? Because He knows we need those things. He knows we need that. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. 
book of Hebrews says this in the fourth chapter. We talk now about the Lord Jesus Christ and what He thinks and how He views and what He sees in this regard. Book of Hebrews, it says this in the fourth chapter. Starting the 14th verse. Now it does say, in the verse before that, that there's no creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So no, we know without a doubt that what Christ knows about us, he knows it all about us. <laughs> you know? You're not hiding something off here in the corner somewhere Amen. that Christ is not going to know about. Amen. So on the one hand, that's a fearful thing. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it does put some context about what is about to be said about how Christ views us. For it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not and have preached which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. <laughs> wow. He feels. It's interesting to me that it doesn't say which cannot be touched with the reality of our infirmities. Or that we have infirmities. Oh, they were hard sinners. That we stumble or we're frail and we're weak and these bodies just don't, they, they hinder us <laughs> in all kinds of ways from a natural standpoint. It's like you sitting here tonight. Just one example of that. I'm sure most of you, I would think, sat down or were sitting down when I stood up to preach and you had full intention to pay attention through the whole time. <laughs> and you might say, well, I know I'm a sinner and will not do that. But also, brothers and sisters, we don't have perfect minds. We are not able to perfectly focus our heart and soul on one thing at a time for an extended period of time. <laughs> and things that I say... Because I know what it's like. The things that I say make you go off this way and off that way and out there. And just like this comment about Monday morning, you know, keep saying that, you start thinking about, okay, Monday morning. Boy, yeah, you know, I've got, what am I going to get done this way? You know, that's the way our mind works. Well, brothers and sisters, the verse says here that we are the high priest that is aware not only of the reality of that, but the actual feeling of that. How is that possible? <laughs> but was the old boys tempted like as we are, yet without sin? Jesus Christ became a partaker of flesh and blood. Jesus Christ took on the reality of that that we are in our natural bodies. Reality of that. The body itself. Christ by itself is not of the curse of sin, but he had that natural body in all other respects. Mm-hmm. All other respects. He carried that burden. He carried that reality of what it was like to be in a natural, mortal body. Mm-hmm. 
man, how can you say Christ was mortal? Well, he died, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to get around that fact. That the body of Christ did die. It was certainly mortal in that sense that the body could die. Now, let me say this. I didn't mean to get off on that. But the body of Christ was not subject to death like we are. <laughs> his body did die because of sin, but not because of his sin, but because of our sin. But he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities and he walked upon the face of this earth. And also, let me get you to think about this, and perhaps you have, because sometimes you may think, well, why in the world did Jesus Christ come into the world, born of the Virgin Mary, live for 30 years, and for, for all practical purposes, nothing happened. You know, and then he has these three years of his ministry, basically, and then the crucifixion takes place. Well, brothers and sisters, at least part of that story is that he might be a partaker, that he might be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that he was able to experience and actually learn what it was like to be in a body of flesh and blood. All the way from conception up until the time that he was crucified. The Lord Jesus Christ experienced the reality of what it was like. And so that's why it says, he was tempted at all points, like as we are, yet without sin. And there's all manner of things, of course, that we don't know about in those 30 years. But I think we can reasonably assume that some of those temptations took place during those 30 years. That it wasn't just all in this space of the three years. Amen. But there were things that happened during the course of his life, just like it does during the course of our lives, that he experienced. So he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He is able to empathize with us. He is able to commiserate with us. He is able to have compassion with us. He is able to come unto us and walk side by side with us and truly, literally say, I know what you're going through. Wow. I know what it means. I know what it's like <laughs> to experience the things that you're experiencing yet without sin. We understand that. Uh, we understand the significance of how it is for someone that has gone through what we're going through. If someone has lost their spouse, I can have all manner of compassion for that individual and do have a lot of compassion. But I'm, I can't, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know what that's like. And I don't want to find out anytime soon. Now, brother and sister, someone that has gone through that, they know and understand. That's the kind of meaning that's behind this phrase that Jesus Christ, our high priest that ever lived, that is making intercessions on the right hand of the Majesty on high, right now at this very moment, that's the kind of compassion and sensitivity and awareness that our priest has for us as we go day by day, as we live out our lives. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? Let's go over here to the book of Romans again. In the 8th chapter again, as this chapter talks a whole lot about the Spirit, the work of the Spirit. But listen to what is said down here in the 26th verse. 
It says in the 26th verse of Romans 8, it says, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Helps our infirmities. And then it specifically talks about prayer. For we know not what to pray, we should pray for, as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So prayer is an outstanding place for this to be. Because how often do we struggle in prayer? How often do we not know how to pray as we ought to pray? And let me say, just just throw this out. This is just this has been a good thing for me personally. I mean, so I always uh, think a minister needs to be careful when they give personal examples of what they are doing in their own life, in their own service, because we do not want to put that as a burden or a law or a requirement upon you. But I will tell you that this is something in regards to prayer that has helped me. And that is to look, particularly in the New Testament, but anywhere in the Word of God, look at the prayers that are in the Word of God, and if you don't know anything else to pray, just pray that prayer. I mean, you can't miss with that. They're the inspired Word of God, right? (laughs) Can't go wrong with that. But if you get up on Monday morning and you don't know what to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Sometimes we may think, well, goodness, that sounds awful, you know, selfish and just our natural needs. Am I not supposed to wake up on Monday morning full of praises and glories and hallelujahs to God? No, we get up in the morning, we got to go get fixed brothers and get something to eat. <laughs> And if you have something to eat, you need to thank God that He has given you that day your daily bread. Amen. Because I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, you didn't get it yourself. That's right. I think about that sometimes. I eat oranges a lot of times for breakfast in the morning. And it's just a fascinating thing. And again, genetics has changed a lot through the years. But that orange came from what God has created. Mm-hmm. Way back. In the first six days of creation. That's just that's staggering to think about, really. <laughs> that we can hold things in our hands today. And, and we say, of course, we know God's created everything, but it just kind of helps me think about that, to think about that here's something that's just continued down through 6,000 years and still exists from the original creation that is still here today that by God has provided us with our daily bread. <laughs> but anyway, just thinking about the prayer there. Certainly we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit helps our infirmities. As the Spirit dwells within us, how aware is the Spirit of our limitations? How aware is He of our finiteness of our beings and our shortcomings and the strugglings that we go through and the warfares that we exist? But it says the Spirit helps our infirmities. Now when you think about that word infirmities, a lot of times we immediately jump out there and we think about sin. Fine, don't have a problem with that. But we certainly, if we're going to think that way, it's certainly not that the Spirit's doing any helping with us with our sins. I mean, we know that's not the case. So if you look at it that way, 
It's got to be that the Holy Spirit, as we struggle with sin, helps us as we're dealing with that. But the Spirit also, I believe, I think we can say, in the context of all that we've said, that the Spirit helps us as we struggle with the reality that we're dust. Mm -hmm. The reality that we are but flesh. The reality that we do have these limitations that we're mortal beings. Now, (laughs) when you think about Adam being made of dust, and it's significant that God used, went back to that. He remembered that we are dust. If you go out there, and you, it's not going to be that way today because of the rain. If you go out to just powdery dust, you can't do anything with it. I, I mean, you just pick it up and it just falls through your hands. It just kind of blows around. It has no substance, no strength to it at all. Our, our natural mortal bodies only have any substance because God has given us substance which, by the way, has continued on down through 6,000 years as well, as we are fearfully and wonderfully made before God. But he says he helpeth our infirmities. So we have the daily presence of the Holy Spirit with us, helping our infirmities. And if you go over to the book of John, I'm not going to turn there, but you know that, when it says over there in the book of John, how does it describe the Holy Spirit as our comfort? Right? <laughs> Boy, that's why we need that help, don't we? <laughs> we need to be comforted, don't we? Well, how can the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, comfort us if He's not aware of our infirmities? And if He is not touched with the feelings of our infirmities? And if He doesn't remember that we are but dust? But He does comfort us, has compassion sensitivity, awareness of what our needs are as we go day by day and as we struggle through life. So brothers and sisters, just a couple more thoughts here and we'll close this morning. But as we think about it this evening, as we think about these things, about the fact that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit does not remember our sins. Remembers us, will not forget us. But He does not remember our sins against us. And none can lay any charge against us. None can condemn us. But yet at the same time, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit knows and remembers our frame. And knows that we are dust. And reaches out to us and is touched, particularly in the person of Jesus Christ, touched with the feelings of of our infirmities. Leave you, I'm going to leave you with this thought. And the reason that it's kind of odd to put it at the end, of the end of the sermon, but it just emphasizes how much that we need for this reality to be so <laughs> as we go day by day. Because we said that God does not remember our sins against us, but He does remember our weaknesses, our frailness, our infirmities. But what do we do? We tend to do the exact opposite, both with ourselves and with other people. What do we do? We tend to remember our sins against ourselves. Right? And forget that we're weak, frail, mortal creatures that are still encumbered with this old sinful nature. We forget that. And then we do that with other people too. (laughs) We remember their sins against them, 
What is the old statement that says we remember the last worst thing that somebody's done to us? <laughs> Unfortunately, we have a great memory for the bad things that people do. But we remember people's sins against them. And we're not willing to make allowances for the fact that they're frail and weak and encumbered with infirmities and problems and difficulties as well. Let me just give you a quick example of how that could play out in a real situation that happened in my life. My neighbor, uh, at one time I was, we have a homeowners association where I live and I was the person who was collecting the monies for that. So I was trying to get people to make their payments. And so my neighbor, she comes, and I was outside, I happened to be outside by the front porch. She comes flying up, jumps out of the car and practically throws the check at me and says, you know, here's your payment. And I'm like, I, you know, I was just kind of stunned. I, <laughs> I don't know what to say. And she, so she left. And I was like, oh my word. Because you know, I mean, it certainly by all appearances looked like that she was mad with me because I was trying to collect the money. And I finally, I struggled over there. You know how it is. You struggle about that, what to do, what I'm going to get, just let it go or whatever. But I finally called her up and asked her, and it had turned out that on her way, or she lives right across the road, turned out on the, her way home that her and her daughter had a major fallout. I mean, they had just absolutely blown up. And he had, she had dropped her off at the house and came over to give me the check. So her whole thing had nothing to do with me whatsoever. But you see, where we need to make allowances for where she was and what might be going on in her life and have compassion and sensitivity for her struggles and the challenges that she has in her life. Well, in that context, just leave, let me leave you what it says over here in Isaiah 55. And we can thank God for this. In Isaiah 55 in the 8th verse, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Amen. <laughs> Neither am I, and neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. It's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Says for as high as the words, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God be praised that we serve the omnipotent sovereign God whose thoughts toward us, whose ways toward us, are that he does not remember our sins against us. But he remembers that we are but flesh, we are but dust, is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, and helps us and comforts us along the way. Amen. 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 Jeremy, we need this in 422.